0: Younger brother Peter Broderick is also a musician, and he over the years has been sort of like the arch- archivalist of the family, sort of um, picking up all the pieces of recorded material from not only my mom but my dad as well, um, and kind of squirreling them away and making projects out of them and stuff. So he. Uh, he, he sort of worked with my mom on that record putting it together and uh i i played a little bit on it it was mostly my brother and my mom and and western vinyl put it out yeah so we're my mom and i are label mates
1: <laughs> what does putting it together mean in that case i mean it's was it was it recordings that she had done previously
0: um some of them were and some of them uh were sort of songs that she used to play when we were kids that that my siblings and I would have heard a million times and um, sort of sort of just held a really special place in our in our hearts and um, both of my parents are a bit shy about their the music that they've made or they don't make much music anymore but um, <clears throat> they haven't been confident with sharing it with people at all. So I think if it, if it weren't for Peter sort of, you know, putting these collections of things together, uh, I I don't think either of them would have shared any, any of the music they've done actually.
1: So it sounds like she played around the house at least.
0: Both my parents played around the house. My mom was when in her younger years, she was a bit more, uh, out and about with it. She, she played an open mic night in Bellingham, Washington, and she, <laughs> I, the story went that she all of a sudden started doing really well with the tips each night she would play. And so she got asked to be a regular artist at this little bar. And years later, she found out that it was my dad stuffing the tip jar.
1: <laughs> it was this before or after they were married?
0: I think it was probably, she probably found out before they were married. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that that's a better story. Yeah. <laughs> If he,
0: she still loved him
1: it's a sign of well, obviously he was a fan it, it sounds like in, in more ways than one is that how they met?
0: it is yeah They. my dad is uh, originally from Southern California and my mother is from Ver- West Virginia so they both wanted to just travel and play music and um, kind of get away from their family lives I think and so they both ended up in the same part of Washington around the same time and had the same group of friends and stuff, so they met through that. It was a really musical, creative community that they were in at the time. So,
1: so it sounds like that more contemporary mm-hmm. lack of confidence, as you put it, has been, I don't know, a bit of an erosion over time as far as, I don't know, a result of maybe banging your head against the wall or at least not wanting to be where not being where you wanted to be with your music.
0: Yeah, I think um for them it was a case of I'm you know my mom was 20 and my dad was 19 when my older brother was born. So I mean, they were just so young uh at the time and I think really it was choices they had to make out of necessity. Uh, we grew up in a really creative household, uh, even though they weren 't professional musicians or um, actively pursuing that. I think it was logistical on their part trying to trying to just support the family and make ends meet and things like that so
1: my parents were they were fairly young when they had me they were young when they had my my older sister and it's that thing of in life and 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 this must have hit you relatively early on but of looking at where you are at a given point in your life and where your parents are and maybe being able to forgive them for some of the things <laughs> when you think about like where you were and what you were doing when you were 19 and 20 yeah
0: i'm i'm baffled by the amount of i think it's my generation too a lot of my a lot of friends of mine have a similar story in that their parents just had, had, had them at a very young age. And, uh, yeah, definitely when I look back now at what I was doing at that period of time, I just am blown away that they were able to not only just figure out a way to make it work, but, you know, raise a family that the, the three kids in our family are very productive and um we all like each other and our family still talks and everything. So it's, uh, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, um, yeah, I just, I don't know how they did it. It's impressive.
1: This is just kind of a result of, I don't know, I'm not going to, not, not going to get in my capitalism spiel this early into the conversation, but <laughs> obviously when you're at that age, you kind of have to decide between two things, right? You have to, de- you really do have to decide between your career and, um, starting a family, uh, it, you know, and on your end, I, I, I would have to imagine that you would be in a very different place right now if you had taken a similar route as them.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine. It's interesting. I, this, the high school that I went to, um, a lot of the people from that high school ended up sort of Marrying or partnering with people from the area, and just kind of—it was a farming town. There were, you know, generations of farming families, and that's just—it's kind of what people did. And they had kids young, and they have teenagers now, <laughs> and it's just, uh, yeah, the, the the choices we make put us on very different paths, you know.
1: I'm not from a farming town, but I'm from a very suburban area, and I, you know, feel. Feel very similarly. I'm at, you're in Los Angeles, right?
0: I am now, yeah.
1: I live in New York, and it's just you know, it's like I like that. That in and of itself was a very sort of deliberate choice, and and that and me moving to New York was very much me. I mean, I love New York, and I always wanted to live here, but but a big part of that was choosing was deciding that okay, this is the point in my life where I want to focus on my career, and then hopefully you know things will fall into place after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, I I really had a, a rough time in high school, and I wasn't being challenged academically, or really falling in with a group of people that were um, interested in the same things that I that I was, or that I strived to be interested, that I thought I might be interested in. So I actually graduated a bit early, and had a godmother that lived in London, and so I, I went sort of did my own semester, half half a year abroad with her. And I lived with her in London. And from that point on, I kind of just really knew there were other things out there that I, that I wanted to explore more. And um, yeah, I ended up living in Denmark and Berlin and New York for a while. And yeah, I've moved around a lot, kind of trying to to continue to experience things that I don't already know. You know,
1: the internet was around to, you know, to a certain extent, not where it is now, but you, you, you didn't really even recognize that those sorts of things were an option until you moved to London.
0: I think, um, for me, I was really, really shy. Uh, when I was younger, it's still something that I struggle with sometimes, but I, I knew it was out there, but I, the internet to me at that point was AOL chat, you know, and I, I yeah, that's what it was, instant messenger, and I couldn't, I mean, I was chatting with people in, in some different states, but I don't think anyone internationally, and uh, I mean, England was probably the safest in the way that, like, it was the most similar to America probably, you know, has a first step out of a small town to, to go check things out. But yeah, I think it just showed me that you can, my godmother was American, but she had decided to move to England and have a career there. So it was just sort of living proof, you know, that, that you could do something else.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously England is similar from the standpoint of language and, you know, that, we are very much rooted in, in their culture, but that's still a big move, especially coming from, from a farming town and not really having, I guess that much of a sense of the outside world M- moving to the, you know, an entirely different country is still, that, that's gotta be a big shock.
0: It was, I, it was more of a shock than I, than I imagined it would be. I thought in my mind, <laughs> once I got there, it would be, out and about checking everything out, but I was pretty uh, shell shocked for the first for my first trip over. Uh, also because I was alone and just you know I would spend time with her on the weekends and take little trips and things. But yeah, I I was still cautious, you know, kind of checking things out. But yeah, how old were you? I was sixteen.
1: That's young, not just to, to move out of the country, but that's young to like leave your parents. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What was your relationship with music like at that point?
0: At that point, um, it was definitely the thing I was the most interested in, not just in doing, but as a pastime listening to it, um, you know, watching and listening to different bands at the time. And I definitely knew that it was something that I wanted to pursue uh, I had been taking classical piano lessons from, I mean, <clears throat> when you first start taking lessons, it's not like you can really call it classical cause you're learning, you're still learning. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what yeah. it is. Or that's what it leads to. Right. When, when when you leave Mary, you had a little lamb. Then you Yeah. Did a-
0: yeah. So I, so I started that when I was eight and, um, Apparently, according to my parents, I I asked them if I could take piano lessons. I don't remember that, but I guess it was just something that I I was always interested in doing. So yeah, I I wanted to play music and write songs. I thought it was so cool that people did that. And I I definitely still felt too shy and too young and inexperienced to be confident um, really sharing any of that stuff with anyone at that time.
1: Did your parents play piano around the house?
0: No. Uh, I think they got the piano for me. Uh, my older brother played saxophone. Um, I, my main one was piano as a kid, and my younger brother, is, is he plays everything. But I think his first, he started with Suzuki violin. So, um, yeah, we just had a lot of different things going on.
1: Little ska band at home.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I guess piano makes sense when you're eight years old, and you think about, you know, music and and writing music. That might that's probably it's either that or guitar, right? Those are the places that your mind first goes to.
0: Yeah, I think either of those are a good option for, uh, you know, your first instrument. I'm still so glad that I started on piano because. I love the percussive element of it and I think that that has been sort of a through line in my interest in music and the music that I make. I'm always interested in the rhythm r- rhythm section and um yeah, it's nice to have have that background and even though I'm not playing drums, you know, I'm um there's a lot of polyrhythm and different things that you can break down as a piano player that maybe are not so obvious when you're playing an instrument like a more solo instrument like violin or something like that
1: it's an interesting element of it 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 really is it is percussive i mean you know you're quite literally like banging a hammer against strings in a way that you aren't when you're playing guitar and that's something that i think like gets lost in the conversation a lot you know unless unless you're listening to like a really good jazz pianist you know you, you, you don't always tend to think of it as being a a percussive instrument, you know, your, your parents, again, having sort of been through that process of trying to make a go at music and, and, you know, to a certain extent, I guess, seeing how, how difficult it could potentially be, were they, I mean, obviously they were encouraging as far as the three of you, you know, learning instruments and playing around the house, but there's a difference between playing around the house and actually deciding at a certain point that you want to, this is the thing that you want to do for a living.
0: Yeah. They're definitely really proud of us. Um, Both my younger brother and I have all the experiences that we've had and doing things that they probably never even, they probably never even got to a point with their own performance where they even dreamed they would play on a TV show or something uh, or play in front of a large crowd. I think the fact that they can go on YouTube and search for, for videos of us is exciting for them. But, you know, to this day, I still get questions from my mom. Like, so what are you going to do? <laughs> so, you know,
1: what are you going to do with your life?
0: Yeah. You know, you've always been really interested in biology and, you know, um, so I, you know, they're not, they're not unaware of the struggle that still exists with continuing on trying to sustain a career in music for sure.
1: Do you keep those things in your back pocket as well?
0: It's interesting because my story is that I was in school for classical piano performance and composition. And then I started touring in bands so much that I actually ended up dropping out of college because I couldn't, managed doing both. It was just putting me further behind in school and I wasn't getting any closer to a degree because of the way the course, uh, the courses worked and stuff. So, so I don't have a technical plan B, like I don't have a degree in <laughs> graphic design or something. Um,
1: music was your plan A and B
0: music was my plan A and B. And I, I, I'm interested in so many things, and I, you know, I've had any any side job you can probably think of, I've probably had it <laughs> over the years, you know, um, to supplement income and stuff. So, yeah, I'm always hustling. I, I think there does come a point, especially if, it, you know, it feels today like it's harder and harder to it's a weird feeling because we have this seemingly infinite number of ways to connect with people. And, you know, the internet is a community that is the world. And so you can reach more fans all over the place, but it's, it almost makes it harder to, to like make a splash, you know, when you, when you put a record out. So, and obviously with streaming and these sorts of, capitalist companies and royalty distribution and stuff it's it's i definitely am thinking often about hmm maybe i should come up with a better plan b you know
1: (laughs) that's kind of a passing or distant thought though it's
0: yeah when i really think about it i i just think music is really the only thing that i care enough about to put to put all my time and energy into you know um, so it feels silly to to just choose to not do that because money or you know these other things. So
1: thinking too much about a plan B is a really easy way to get distracted from plan A,
0: definitely. yeah.
1: <laughs> we missed a step in there from sixteen year old you in London to college. what happened? What happened in the meantime and and why? Why was classical piano the thing that you decided to study?
0: classical piano was the thing I decided to study because well I I had spent eight years or so studying it and then I took a break from it because I was tired of tired of the mundane routine of the lesson and the and the practice and my teacher and I, got along sometimes, you know, so I took a break from it, but then I just, I discovered some new music that, uh, I could hear classical elements and I could hear the things in modern music that I, I had learned and I understood what was going on. And I, I just thought that was so cool. And so it made me feel like I wasn't learning this. I wasn't studying history anymore by learning these classical pieces, but I was I had sort of gained this skill set that I could put toward a number of other things. So, and then it just sort of revitalized it for me and I decided to get back into it. And so after that break, I, I started college a little early as well and continued on studying the classical performance and composition through the years that I was in school
1: what were those songs that you were hearing that really, I guess, bridged that gap for you?
0: Oh, uh, let's see. I mean, I was into a lot of math rock <laughs> at the time.
1: That's the percussive element,
0: definitely. Like I, I would hear, I would hear this music and sort of be be counting out the time changes in my head, and it that was a stimulating thing for me to be able to to sort of figure out how, what they were doing there, you know?
1: It's always the weird time, time signatures that bring people over.
0: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. So I liked that stuff. And then I don't, you know, that band Rachel's, they did sort of modern classical before, before neoclassical became such a, you know, big genre. Um, they were kind of doing that before and, and they employed really beautiful, Romantic melodies and interesting time changes, and they and they put some drums in, even though it was piano-based music. So it just sort of bridged the gap for me and saw that I could use these things that I had learned for something cool.
1: You're really bringing an entirely different context than I assume that a lot of the people that you play with, or certainly you know a, a lot of the people that you've you've toured with. It's just it's like it's like an entirely it's an entirely different way into that genre of music.
0: Yeah, it's that's true. I, I remember uh, when I was, how old was I? I think I was about 24. I moved to Copenhagen and joined this band after playing. And um, they had sent me the songs to learn for our first concert prior to moving over and I... Uh, spent some time sort of listening to the parts I was supposed to learn and mapping them out for myself. And they were pretty complicated. Their music is really rhythmic and has a lot of time changes and stuff in it. So it was a fun project for me. But when I got to the first rehearsal and played them what I had figured out, they (laughs) kind of just laughed and told me that they had no idea how I did that because they had made this piano part by recording one finger at a time and recording like 12 tracks or something. So I had to kind of figure out how to put it together. In that. So they
1: kind of like were setting you up for failure. It sounds like
0: <laughs> maybe so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you feel like that, that that background though really kind of informs the, the music that you write? I mean, I, I guess, is there a way in which it's kind of a superpower?
0: I think I think I hear... I know I hear hear things in music differently. I mean, I think everybody hears music differently. That's something that's really interesting about it. But when I've worked with other people, I know that I'm hearing things that untrained musicians might not be aware are happening. It's hard for me to say how much of it comes out in my music. I just... I would assume... I would assume that it definitely does. I, I will say that the further away from that sort of classical practice that I had and playing that type of music, I I think my music, in my own mind at least, has become a bit simpler, which I have I, been enjoying at least lately, you know, so...
1: I would say outside of art, there are negative connotations around simpler. But you're you're, you're sitting in front of this painting that looks uh, like almost like Jackson Pollock esque from where I'm sitting. You know, just like abstraction. There there's a way in which in music and art, in particular, that minimalism is something a lot of people really strive for and and have difficulty in. I, I suppose editing themselves in that way.
0: yeah, I think especially now where we all have the capability to multi-track and record ourselves. I see I see a lot of people and a lot of bands get into the weeds and you know just it's hard to finish something these days because there's an infinite number number of options. but actually for me, it's kind of the opposite. like I never overwrite for something. And to me, even when the end result is something that sounds stripped back or minimal or simple, if you want to call it that, it's like I put just as much work into it, (laughs) time into it. And for me, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just the song that, that comes out.
1: Isn't there a sense in which that's kind of overriding in that you're doing a lot more to get something minimal on paper?
0: Well, it's not as if I'm building up this huge thing and then realizing it's too much and I need to strip it back because it's the the, the message or the essence of the song isn't coming out anymore. Yeah, I guess I, I, I've just never had the problem of... of at least I don't think overcrowding something, you know, it's, I, I enjoy the sort of clean <laughs> minimalistic approach to things. And
1: I've been thinking about this a lot lately, I guess what overproduction means in this kind of, in this, you know, post like pro tools, home recording age. Years ago, I spoke to a, a producer who, you know, was telling stories about people spending like, hours and hours on a like a particular kick drum hit and that's something that you can do right you can really sit there and if you want to labor over every aspect and this album which you know in a lot of ways was was a home recording was you producing did you risk falling into that
0: i had some pretty good limitations um i well it was my first time sort of really diving into using pro tools and I basically had, had inherited a, an old studio computer and small rack of outboard gear from my brother. And he had it set up and showed me how to use it exactly how it was set up. And I took notes in my notebook on how to do that. <laughs> and, you know, I learned tricks and shortcuts and stuff from there, but my My kick drum sound wasn't infinite. You know, I didn't have every plugin for kick drums or samples of kick drums. I had a small folder of kick drum and maybe three options that I could choose. And I think that was good for me because I didn't want to get too caught up in, in that sort of thing. I do think that's really fun. And I could see myself spending time getting more specific about the sounds that I like for future recordings, but I didn't want to loop that process into my songwriting process.
1: Yeah, it's fun, but it can be completely self-defeating. I mean, that's a really good way to not ever get a record out the door.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there were a handful of songs, some of the ones that are a bit more produced on the record that I had programmed these you know, beats in. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to get them to where I wanted them to be for the final recording. And, and so I didn't even waste time doing that. And I knew that I could Dan Goodwin, who I work with, um, worked with on finishing the record. I knew that he would just have all, all the options and have a good sense of what I was going for and things like that. So
1: I mean, is there an extent to which then your decision to really go all in on on producing your own music is a direct result of you getting this new equipment from your brother?
0: I think that and the pandemic, honestly, because it was the first time that I just was home, you know, Um, I had just finished a tour in in Europe, I was doing some touring for Invitation, my record came out in 2019. I did one European tour and then the borders were like literally closing behind us as we drove through them in the springtime there. So, uh, yeah, it was it was it was really wild for me to just all of a sudden have nowhere that I needed to go. I mean, as it was for everyone, but it opened up this huge opportunity for me of just getting to work on songwriting and music.
1: You didn't have any trouble self-motivating then, it sounds like.
0: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, definitely had days where I couldn't do anything. Um, But I think if I would have worked on music all day, every day in the pandemic, I might have burned myself out. And it was a weird time. I know a lot of people feel like I wasn't really sure if I had anything to write about, you know, um... It was really overwhelming out in the world, and then the juxtaposition of that with just being in it more or less like an enclosed space where not much was changing inside the house. It was kind of hard to find something to tap into that felt worth sharing, and I I didn't want to write a record that would make me or anyone else have to relive the pandemic either, so...
1: Just immediately date it the like even before it comes out.
0: <laughs> right, yeah.
1: I still bring this up all the time because it's really interesting to talk to people because there are I mean, obviously it's not completely black and white, but for the most part, people either felt kind of paralyzed by everything that was going on and just had a complete block, or they were able to to thrive and like suddenly having all this this extra time. And it sounds like your position more in the, in the latter camp.
0: Yeah. And I feel really fortunate for that. I mean, to, to just even have been in a position where I could do that.
1: Especially early on when I would ask questions around this, I would get, I would get whispered answers of people talking about like how great the pandemic. Cause nobody wanted to say that, but like, it was like actually for some people who are like in the right position, it like, it was great.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, I'm, a person that likes solitude. I like spending quiet time. I, I'm, I'm, before I lived in LA, I lived on the Oregon coast in a pretty remote area. And I, you know, for the most part, really kind of enjoy solitude. So, um, for me that, I know a lot of people struggled with, the social aspect of it and mental health around that. And, For me that luckily that wasn't so much of an issue. So
1: I live in the city. I'm can be extremely introverted and I actually got really concerned how much I enjoyed suddenly like not being around anybody for long stretches of time.
0: Yeah. But what was it like the first time you sort of went out and and maybe not even directly sat down with people, but just sort of observed People moving around and doing stuff in the city again. How did that make you feel?
1: There's still some of this that lingers with me, and, and probably does with a lot of people too. That like I still tense up in groups of people and enclosed spaces in ways that I I didn't before because you know spending every day just thinking about virus transmission b- becomes pretty paralyzing in the long term.
0: I think we have it in common that we're both a bit introverted, but yet you live in New York and I'm in LA. So, you know, we're
1: this is something I brought up plenty of times on the show, but I, because I think it's super interesting and because this is something that I've like really had to kind of figure out about myself. I, I was living with a girlfriend who basically said, you know, I don't know how you, you know, you, you can do your podcast. You can go on, you know, go on TV, do interviews, go on stage in front of a thousand people. And then I bring you to, a party where you don't know anybody and you basically just like shut down the entire time and, and don't talk to anybody. And like, it's still to this day, something really difficult for, for me to, to, to reconcile. But New York, I think this is even, this is even much more the case in New York than Los Angeles. Cause obviously like LA is, is still fairly sprawling and, and you can have space if you want space, but there's, there's a sense in which because of how many people there are at all times, Living here can be alienating.
0: Yeah. It's 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 almost easy to disappear in a crowd, you know, uh, which I remember that. I remember feeling like that in New York, and sometimes it was just what I wanted, and sometimes it was a bit isolating and, and lonely, you know.
1: What brought you down to L.A.? Was it music?
0: So L.A. was kind of the last city in uh, the United States that I felt excited about trying to live in obviously there's a lot of art and music here, which is cool. Um, And I guess it was 2019. um, I got together with my partner and uh, he had recently just signed a lease on a place in LA. And so I ended up kind of starting to spend time here between tours and then the pandemic hit. So then I was just here. (laughs) So yeah, I've, you know, it was a weird few years to, to begin living in a new place. Uh, you couldn't get, really get out and meet, meet the people and go to the shows and find the coffee shop that you liked, things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, as it's come, as things have opened up again, um, I'm starting to see the different communities of artists and musicians and there's a lot of stuff going on here all the time. So um, I think it's a good place to be for me right
1: now. It's so funny. Like how often when I ask that question, it just bo- it, like boils down to a boy or a girl. Yeah. The person that I want to be with was there. So like, of course it made a lot of sense for me to, to move there ultimately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easier to, it's easier to, and so, sometimes it feels easier to do life with somebody else, you know? Um, it's yeah.
1: If you really want to know if you should be on a, in a band with somebody, you know, go on tour with them, right? Like go, go, you know, take the van around the country. And, and if you really want to know if a relationship is going to work out in the long run, like live with somebody, because all of that stuff comes to the front really quickly. And for me, that can be a challenge. I mean, especially in New York, but of trying to, especially having had a, you know, very extroverted partner, of uh, 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 tried to really kind of convey that I needed a low time without feeling like a complete asshole in saying that
0: yeah yeah definitely I mean I've been in that situation before and uh, I think I have a pretty good balance now my partner is he works more of a 9 to 5 kind of job and travels a lot for work so we have a small place but I have a fair amount of time or you know, sometimes I'm alone for a week at a time or something. So um, I try to take advantage of using those quiet times for for, for, for my work, you know,
1: LA, you know, California, you know, y- y- you can drive outside the city and get to some real nature pretty quickly. You know, you've, you've got the beach out there. But was there a part of you that regretted that you didn't ride the pandemic out on the Oregon coast?
0: Yeah, I mean, luckily I was able to go up there for a pretty good stretch of time. About three months I was up there when when the lockdown just seemed like it was going to be infinite. We drove up there and stayed for a few months. Um, overall, I think it's, it's a really tough decision because I definitely—what— What living out there taught me, especially after living in all these larger cities, was that after an adjustment period, like I enjoy people and music and art and culture and all these things, but I don't like all the consumption necessarily that goes along with it, whether it's living in a more expensive place or having to center your engagements around like drinking and being out late and all these types of things. Um, I I don't feel like I need that stuff so much. And uh, that was a nice realization to have. So I think it's felt good to get back to a place where you have the option to go out and see shows and go to art shows and just be around a more diverse group of people. I think I... I missed that stuff. So I don't know what my perfect scenario would be, you know? Um, yeah. I d- definitely like having a balance of the two if I can.
1: I'm from Northern California. I'm from outside of San Francisco initially. So like I had, I grew up with a very specific feeling about Los Angeles, let's say, but I, as I've got older and, and, you know, gone back several times and visited people out there, that's one of the things that I do appreciate about it is that obviously like second largest city in the country. So giant city, but also you you can have that space when you need it for a lot of people. It does straddle that line pretty well.
0: Yeah, I think so. Especially if you've, if you're coming from a place like New York, you know, where you've been in a really tight space. I think the key to Los Angeles is living in a neighborhood where you don't have to, you don't have to commute on the <laughs> freeways because I think the car culture here is the, the major downfall.
1: One of the things that I kept coming back to, I mean, especially during that time period when I was you know dealing with some health issues and living through COVID out here, was really wondering why I was continuing to pay New York City rents when I like just literally like wasn't leaving my apartment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people were asking themselves that question, and obviously a lot of people pushed the eject button and moved upstate or moved to a completely different area entirely. But
1: growing up again in a, you know, very, very suburban part of the Bay area. Like I, I couldn't wait to get out, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get to a city. I didn't necessarily know or or really care which one it was going to be. And I, I have to assume that that's, compounded by an order of magnitude living in a farm town that like you just want to get out of there as quickly as humanly possible.
0: Yeah, it was certainly true for me at the time. I can obviously appreciate it now for what it was more. And actually that the area that I was living in as a kid, after my family was grown and left, uh, the wine boom happened in the Willamette Valley. So, now you can go through all these small towns that used to be just literally a gas station and maybe a deli or a dentist or something, and there's cute little restaurants and places that you can you know get a good cup of coffee things like that so
1: that's happened in a lot of places it you know it certainly it happened i mean in a very different way, but where I'm from in that eventually Silicon Valley kind of creeped into the area and brought all of the the, the good and the bad that that brings that's certainly you know even with that like very clear external factor in both of those cases i I do think that that's happened to a lot of small towns as like you know as as much as I hate Starbucks like it really did sort of bring this idea of coffee culture to the states in a way that wasn't there before and then and then the like you, you can't you really can't overstate how big of an influence the internet has had on that too. And it has made these smaller places so much more connected than they were, you know, even like 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, it has. And I think that, well, I like to think that ultimately it's good for, for people to have the option to know that there's other things out there. And I think the internet has been, has been good for that.
1: The thing that you risk and i've I've certainly seen this to a troubling degree where 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 I'm from is is that kind of homogeneity everywhere of just like you do really risk losing some of the things that made that place unique
0: absolutely, yeah, yeah, and I think as time moves on and we see see it becoming harder for people to find a way to to just do normal things in life, like buy a house or live in a place that they want to live. Uh, I think that then we start searching for, well, what, what is the reason behind this? Why is it so hard? What, who are the people that are responsible for making it so hard for um, all of, all of the normal people to survive, you know? Um, And then it kind of comes back to the, Sort of capitalist nature
1: of our society. So, <laughs> I was saying I wasn't going to get into it early in the conversation, knowing that at some point, like things were just going to circle back to it. <laughs> Frankly, it's unavoidable now. And and the, the thing that the thing that I keep coming back to. And this is a really obvious thing on the face of it, but the, but the thing that I've really realized, and I think that pandemic played a big part in helping me kind of wrap my brain around this, is that. I think I think a vast majority of people want the world to be better for most people like I think that that is a for, uh, that is something that drives most people and obviously there's a problem of having different solutions to those problems but at the end of the day I I think the real the real issue is that we can't we have profoundly different ideas of what the root is and I don't know if we ever get to this place in in society but I but I think the only way there can really be any kind of real resolution is finding some common ground and really figuring out like what it is that has gotten us in this place. And that is very much accelerating at the moment.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is people turning toward each other and, you know, trying to empathize and find common ground. And I think that's the thing that gets harder and harder with, with, technological development and this weird <clears throat> world of social media and things like that. It's uh, you're connected with everyone all the time, but actually you're not connected at all and I think we we need actual human, sincere human connection to, to really solve problems, you know? Because it's about it's about being able to understand someone else's point of view, and if you if you don't know someone that has that other point of view or you you've never sat and actually had a conversation with them about it and tried to understand it's hard to really make any progress from there.
1: this really i guess depends on the parts of the Pacific Northwest that you grew up in, but some are like as you get closer to Idaho <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: there's a very clear set of politics there that maybe isn't isn't there in the same way as you get closer to like to the coast, for example. But I mean, I, again, I, and I, and I don't, I, I know this is like a very cliched th- thing to say, but there's a reason for it. But, but the, the importance of traveling when it comes to being able to understand other people and other cultures, we, we talk about that a lot with regards to like leaving the country, obviously important, get to know people around the world. But, but I, but I think that there is, theres an element of that to be had. I mean, we live in a huge country, right? We live in a giant country with a lot of people, a lot of space in between people, people from every part of the world, uh, you know, with, with all different backgrounds and, and ideas. And, you know, you have this, I mean, obviously you've earned it, but you have this like privilege and this ability to, to tour around. I mean, that's such an important part of the job that you do and you get to, Go to all these different parts of, of the country and 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 talk to people. I mean that that must be a, a pretty profound experience.
0: Yeah, it's I, it's really bizarre to just sort of have fallen into <laughs> sort of a career that has enabled me to do that. But you're right; it's it is really interesting, and I think um, one of my favorite parts about traveling especially outside of the US was that my my family was my immediate family was very liberal and arts central and stuff but the my my extended family is actually kind of split but there there are some some parts of my family that are very much the opposite
1: i have the same it's actually split like between my parents
0: yeah 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 i suppose it's not so uncommon but it was really satisfying for me to be able to go to places like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and things like that. And then report back that I can vouch that this place feels very peaceful. And, you know, obviously it's these war torn areas are not all the time, but it was, there was something about having this like direct family member that has been to the place and you know my experience of being in Tel Aviv was drinking pomegranate juice and fresh squeezed pomegranate juice and watching people surf on the along the coast so you know it's we can build up all kinds of stories in our minds and the news feeds feeds us obviously the most extreme version of of the stories but uh it's nice to be able to pass on the other good things that are happening around the world, you
1: know? Yeah. But you don't even have to travel to Israel for that. Cause like, look at half the country thinks that New York city is Mad Max right now.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, It's really bizarre to see how that's played out that like, I, I, people just think that it, it's a crime ridden, ridden hellscape. So you, you like, you don't even, you don't even have to go to, you know, halfway across the world to really, to, to, to get that, to get that perspective.
0: That's true. Oftentimes it's just about leaving your house and walking down the street or, you know. Yeah, just having your own experience instead of listening to what everybody else is telling you.